Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Hi, Matt, Vanessa, and the rest of the Secret Ticks team. Hello, Matt and Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa, Matt, and the whole Sacred Text team. Hi, you guys at Sacred Text team. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. I'm Matt Potts. And I'm Amara Jones. And this is an Owl Post edition of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Today, we are lucky enough to be joined by Amara Jones. Amara is a respected journalist and the founder of Translash Media, a cross-platform journalism, personal storytelling, and narrative project, which produces content to shift the current culture of hostility towards transgender people in the United States. She hosts the Translash podcast, as well as the investigative limited series, The Anti-Trans Hate Machine, A Plot Against Equality. Amara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be the most fun Pride Month thing I do, or among the most, I should say, not to insult everybody else. I mean, if we are in the if we're in that group, if we're in the top five, that's pretty great for us. I feel like. Can you just tell us a little bit about Translash the podcast and the Anti-Trans Hate Machine, a plot against equality podcast? Just tell our listeners a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so the Translash podcast is a podcast which aims to center the voices of trans people involved in so many different aspects of our society, but specifically 
politics, culture, the arts. It's a positive, uplifting conversation about the ways in which we are moving and driving society forward. So we've had on uh, Janelle Monet, who is non-binary, Lena Bloom, who was the first trans person to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Dr. Rachel Levine, who is the number three person at the Health and Human Services Department and is the only person in the history of the United States to ever be confirmed by the Senate into an administration position, which requires that. And we also begin every episode with trans joy, people who are uplifting their communities by doing amazing things that you may have never heard of. So it's a fun and engaging way to get to know trans people and actually to see so many different issues through an entirely new lens. So it's a joy to do and an honor to do it. And then the other podcast that we do is kind of the flip side. It's a podcast, an investigative series podcast, as you mentioned, which looks into the people, the money, the organizations, the politicians, and the religious ideology behind the surge in anti-trans bills and anti-trans hate in this country. We spent over a year looking into it for season one and discovered that what looks like to so many people to be an organic movement is actually one that is highly coordinated with a very specific religious vision at its core. And then in the second season, we are looking at, which will launch in October, we are looking at the cultural underpinnings of this entire conversation, including the involvement of detransitioners and TERFs and, you know, lots of other different types of people who are driving the rationale for these bills that are also tied to this anti-trans hate machine. So there are two sides of the same coin of what's happening in our community. One, which is hopeful and uplifting. Uh, and we do that every two weeks. And then kind of once a year, we drop the bomb on you with something that is heavier and darker, reflecting the reality of the challenges that we face as a community as well. So those are the two podcasts that we do, in addition to all the other stuff we do. I love the focusing on trans joy and lifting up what's glorious about the trans community is the all year thing. And then there's this like concerted effort to be like, okay, and let's pay really close attention to the things fighting against us. That's exactly right. It seems like a lovely way to, to handle this. So Amar, I just, I just wanted to thank you for these podcasts, which are really beautiful. I actually watched um, the YouTube videos of the first three episodes of Translash yesterday, which sort of tell some of your story. And it was, it was really beautiful and moving. And I commend it to all of our, our listeners in that second episode of, of Translash, where you're thinking about the medical, like the medicalization of trans identity and all these things and all the things that folks have to navigate, you have this line, which kind of stopped me and made me pause and think. And I want to hear you say more about, you say, beyond the medical, there is magic in trans, there is mystery in trans. And I found that to be both moving and true, but I also want to hear more about it. So I wonder if you could just say Say more about that magic. Tell me more about what magic means to you and why you want to use the term of magic and mystery when describing the kind of the, the beauty and the, and the joy of trans life. Yes. Yeah, so Vanessa spoke about our podcast, but what you're touching upon, Matt, is the other part of our offerings, which include videos and documentaries, along with a zine that we have and, and a writing platform that we have for people to be able to express themselves and digital and social media, lots of things going on over there. And these 
initial documentaries that you're talking about are actually the foundation for how we got started. You know, I was encouraged to start Translash by people who knew me and knew my work and said, you should start talking about and maybe doing a video series on what it's like to be trans in the era of Trump. And so I had to be convinced a little bit, but then pulled in the favor and just literally started uh, walking around with a camera person. And this, after the first video, then developed into subsequent short documentaries, including my medical surgeries. And then after that, going into my family dynamic and a whole host of other things. And so we began to just grow from the growing interest in these personal stories, my personal narrative. And I think that one of the things that is at the core of our community is this idea of transformation, right? We have to be able to imagine who we are and know who we are beyond the confines of our bodies, beyond the confines of our families and our communities, beyond the confines of a country, which in some ways works to tell us that we don't exist. And within that, the realization of who you are despite those tremendous barriers and, and limitations that are imposed upon us, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, yeah. the ability then with all of that to be able to come yourself, that is the essence of magic. That is the essence of mystery. You know, it is the fundamental understanding that we are energy contained in physical form. And with that, then there is possibility. And so I think that's why I said that. I think yeah. that's why I underscored that. You know, analogies are dangerous, so I don't want to draw too bright a line, right? But I think I see an analog sort of in the Harry Potter series around this idea of transformation and what is transformed or what needs transformation, right? Because you think about Harry, Harry at the beginning of the series, he's a wizard his whole life, Right. But he doesn't have language for that. He doesn't. The, the family around him doesn't recognize that in him. It stifles that story about him. And he knows this about himself, but doesn't have the language yet. And it's only when others arrive and give him language and give him support that he is able to become who he already was in, in a paradoxical way, right? And so actually what needs to change around him is the support, is the world around him needs to change so he can be who he was, who he has always been. And I think, I mean, that's another thing that I really... I feel like I saw, and you know, you tell me if, I, if I'm drawing too strong an analogy or something, but I feel like I saw in your story and when you're talking about your relationship to your family, that sort of like part of this is just coming into, was a feeling or a sense of transformation, but also realization, right? Like of making real of what already was. And that depends upon others around you mm -hmm. changing also, right? I don't think that you are drawing to strong a link between those two things. And I think that that underscores why so many trans people are drawn to this series because hmm. we understand the fundamental truth that is being explored through the dynamic that you laid out. I would also lay in another piece of this about the physical limitations, which is that the reaction of his aunt, right? And that their yeah. entire family is a reaction to their fear of yes. his difference and his power, right? They understood yep. that there was something different about this kid. They knew the history. They knew that 
if it found expression that somehow they would feel less than. And I think that that describes a dynamic that so many trans people face in our families and our upbringing, where our parents yeah. are afraid of us. They are afraid of the ways in which we are different. And the conflict that can result from that is this clash between us telling them, no, this is who we are. And I know I have this, that's about me. That's different. That's trying to find expression and them trying to clamp down on it. Right. Literally, yeah. literally keeping him in the closet. Right. Literally. literally yeah. You know, literally. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a really powerful metaphor that so many of us know. And then, you know, a part of the journey for, for me, and also I would say for Harry is this journey of learning how not to be afraid of yourself, right? How yeah. not to be afraid of your own power that mm. you've thought to manifest, but also which has been consistently undermined. And a part of the journey is us getting stronger and who we are to be more and more of ourselves. So I don't think yeah. that the parallels are, are too strongly drawn there. Yeah. And I think it's also why it's, I think because those parallels are there, it's why it's so, I mean, disappointing is too thin a word, why it's so like troubling and hurtful that the author of these series like is so publicly transphobic, right? Uh, because there's so much potential in the stories to actually tell a different story, a story that, that the world really needs. Yeah. And it's like, I think that people are so incredibly devastated by it because this series was a lifeline to so many trans youth. It was literally a lifeline. And then you accrue to the person that brought that series to you, all of these values, right? That you see in their work. And then when not only are do they have a different value set, but they consistently work to use their powerful platform that they've developed off of the series and the yep. tremendous wealth and power to undermine, to attack, to erase. It's deeply hurtful and it is yeah. deeply mystifying why you can see this in the world that you built, but you can't see this in the world that you actually live in. So, as you talk about so brilliantly in your podcast, The Anti-Trans Hate Machine, the right is really good at spreading misinformation about transness. And I know that a lot of people listening and just a lot of people in the world want to be allies, know they want to be allies, but the misinformation is often louder than the information about transness. And I was wondering if you wanted to share one or two things that you think are helpful information for allies out there who don't necessarily know a lot about what it is to be trans in America right now? You know, the amazing thing is that there's so many resources. This is what's exciting. Yep. Of places that have good stuff, right? I think aside from Translash and everything that we do on social media and in podcasts and, and film and zines and all the things that I've spoken about. So that's one place. And so we're just going to set that to the side. I think that great people to follow are like our Chase Strangio, who's a lawyer at the ACLU, 
I think that mm -hmm. great organizations like the Trevor Project are fantastic about um, accurate information surrounding trans youth and what they need and what's important. I think there are local organizations such as TENT, T-E-N-T, down in Texas, which is working to fight these bills. There are amazing voices in popular culture, such as Laverne Cox. I would urge people to, of course, read um, Janet Mock's books, which are amazing and highly accessible and interesting and poignant and heartfelt into the experience of trans people. I would urge you to watch Pose also, which is a part of pop culture. And then, you know, you can easily engage in trans politicians such as Sarah McBride, who was elected to the state Senate in Delaware as the first state Senate legislator in the history of the United States. I mean, there are so many places and voices. And if you want to learn about trans history, follow and engage with the transgender district in San Francisco. They are the only trans historic district in the world and do a lot of things around history and public education. And I could literally go on and on, but the, the amazing thing is that there are so many people, ideas, resources from so many different walks of life that people can engage in and, and think about and learn from that are accurate sources of information. Thank you. That's, yeah. That's so helpful. And we will put links to as many of those things that we can in our show notes, just so everybody listening can know where to find good information. Yeah. And I would also add that if you are looking to try to track trans bills in your state or in your local areas, there are now 300 of them floating around. You can uh, go to the Equality Federation, which works to keep track of what those are and who's behind them and, you know, how you can get involved and connect you with local organizations in your state, such as Equality Oklahoma, for example, that are working to counteract these bills. So that's also another way. And, you know, what's sad about all of this is that you have a person with a giant platform who is spewing the propaganda that is used to fuel these bills. And that's JK Rowling. So there's, you know, that's another thing to keep in mind. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It just sometimes feels right. Like misinformation is so much easier to quote and spread than helpful, accurate information because the real world is nuanced, right? right. But misinformation can be oversimplified. That's right. Yeah. And so I really appreciate you listing good sources. That's what it's designed to do, right? The right. misinformation right. is crafted in such a way that it is designed to spread easily because it is meant always to be shocking and emotional. And that's what th those things are written in a certain way so that they spread. And we have to remember that there's an entire ecosystem online of bots that work to spread that misinformation so that it flows out. And I think there was a study done which said that if you have 7,000 fake accounts who retweet one tweet, that that is a surefire way to make something go viral. So I think that we have mm. to understand that there's this interplay between the way that things are written to shock and this kind of online misinformation campaign that is working to kind of dominate conversations. Yeah, I always think about it in terms of like, how much work it takes to build a house, right? Like all the nails and all of the, you know, the windows, the glass, the wood, and how easy it is to just knock it down, right? Like one windstorm, one bulldozer. 
And that's what misinformation feels like. It's just a bulldozer that can knock down so much good information and so much good work mm -hmm. through 7,000 bots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. You know, Amara, one of the sort of wagers of this podcast is that stories are powerful and like narrative is powerful. And one of the things that's really powerful about your work is the way you lift up stories. So can you tell us about some of the other work you're doing now and what kind of stories you're trying to tell and working to tell, what kind of narratives you're trying to lift up for the trans community? I think that we've actually covered a lot. I think the only other thing that we're thinking about and working on is we have this ongoing kind of narrative effort that we call Trans Bodies, Trans Choices, where it's trans people who are talking about the importance of body autonomy for them, which is relevant to what's going on in the wider world, specifically with relationship to abortion rights. And I don't know, I just think that that's really important because like our bodies are our first sites of freedom. Yeah. And even in the series, right? Like magic comes through you. It comes out of your body and it's channeled through a wind or through some magical object. But, you know, so much of the first thing that all of them are told is, oh, you have to feel this thing first, or you have to be able to, you know, feel, mm -hmm. you know, understand that it's coming from you. And that's how you can then manifest something. And again, just like the importance of, of our bodies as the source of, of literally our magic, the source of everything that we create in the world. So that's, that's one, only one other thing, I guess. So can I ask a question, a brainstorm conversation for both you, Amara, and Matt? Let's do it. Matt is a religion and literature professor. I'm curious about your thoughts about this, and Amara, I'm sure that you have a lot of brilliant thoughts about this. One of the things that you mentioned in sort of talking through what was so disappointing about J.K. Rowling's misinformation and transphobia is essentially what a poor reader she is of her own work. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what both of you think. This feels like a very typical problem <laughs> where like authors or creators of art resist the meaning and the joy that people are taking from their work. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about like why that happens or how it manifests. And I'm not asking for a whole conversation about art versus artist. I feel like that is a conversation that has been had a lot, but it's just such a confusing it's such a confusing thing, right? Like I'm, I'm someone, I'm uh, someone who spent a lot of time studying Jane Eyre, and Jane Eyre is about a woman who's poor, plain, and little, but can do anything. But throughout the book, Charlotte Bronte is talking about physiognomy and the fact that you can tell whether or not someone is intelligent by the shape of their skull. And I'm like, how is your book about how anyone can be anything also about? biological determinism. And this just feels across the board like something that artists do. Thoughts? I mean, I think I would say just something like what, you know, sort of Imala's response to my last question and my last question, like stories are powerful, right? They shape the way we think. And also when they benefit us, like when they give us power, we get pretty attached to certain readings, right? When those readings lend power to us, when our readings of stories lend power to us, then we get attached to those readings. I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, right? God, there are these, what I, what I recognize is just deeply flawed, tragic, evil misreadings of, of scripture, which, right? They don't just, they're not just bad and flawed. They also uphold people and certain sorts of people in certain positions of power. So of course they become attached to those readings. And so of course they refuse right. to see the other interpretive possibilities in text, the way that texts can 
what's most powerful about them, the way they can open up worlds rather than shut them down, the way they can open up our vision of who deserves dignity and respect rather than cordon off, you know, build up those barriers and keep people outside of the, the scope of our of our love and respect. And so, yeah, I don't know. I can't speak for rolling, I guess, but I, I think that because stories are powerful, they are dangerous. They're powerful as tools for freedom. They're also powerful as tools of oppression. And sometimes those possibilities, oftentimes those possibilities exist at the same time in the same text. Mm -hmm. I think that what I would also say about it is your point, Matt, which is stories are powerful. And in this, we don't know the story that J.K. Rowling tells herself about herself, (laughs) which is what I think this is about. Mm -hmm. I think this is just as much about an unseen narrative that she has about her life that overpowers even her own creativity and her own imagination. Yeah. I think that this is about an unseen story that she has and that she either may not be aware of or, or, or is aware of and tells herself about herself, which fuels this because yeah, it's so amazingly contradictory to the person behind the books, right? Yeah. And I think that, like, she's probably J.K. Rowling, the author, right? And there's J.K. Rowling, the person. And what we're used to seeing is the author, the public-facing person. But there, uh, there's the person behind the author who has a story. And I imagine that that's where the anti-trans stuff comes from. It comes from probably not her best self. Yeah, right. Well, Amara, thank you so much for this conversation. And we are going to listen to some voicemails and would love if you stuck around and helped us respond to voicemails from our listeners. So exciting. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Our first voicemail is from Barbara. Hi, Matt, Vanessa, and the rest of the Secret Ticks team. My name is Barbara, and I co- I'm calling from Wisconsin. I just listened to your chapter on Pride from book three, and I had some thoughts. The whole time, I was a little confused about the definition we gave for pride and the difficult line between the pride we're okay with and the pride that's uncomfortable. And it wasn't until Matt brought up the concept of shame when discussing Hagrid's experience at Azkaban that I realized that was the point that was missing for me. It reminded me of a conversation that Casper and Vanessa had last season. I believe it was Vanessa who said, shame is I am wrong and guilt is I did wrong. And with that idea and that vision of shame, and if shame is the opposite of pride, then it helped me think about pride as I am good or I am worth it. And in that context, I believe it also means that the pride that we're uncomfortable with, whether it's Malfoy's or white supremacy, is when people say, I am better. When we're shifting from I am good to I am better or I am best. And to me, it made a lot of sense, even thinking about Matt's story about his daughter. In that moment, Matt was a proud father because he thought, I did good, I am a good father. I think it's the same thing when we think about pride parades where the LGBTQ community is reclaiming its value and saying to the world who's been telling them, you're not good, you're not worth it, you're bad, that instead they are worth it, they are proud. And I think it does illustrate as well what we're seeing in Malfoy when he's comparing himself to Harry all the time or trying to get the best broom is that he's thinking he's better or he's best. And maybe it also comes out in McGonagall's relationship with Trelawney, where she unfortunately expresses that she feels like she is better than Trelawney, which is why the pride that uh, Vanessa identified makes us a little uncomfortable. I'm curious to see what you think of this approach to the concept of pride, and I'm looking forward to your next episode. Bye. Barbara, thank you for that voice memo and for your really perceptive reading of like the subtleties and nuances of pride. I I think you're right. I mean, I wasn't there for Casper and Vanessa's conversation, but that distinction between, you know, shame says I am wrong as opposed to, you know, guilt, which says I did wrong. The opposite of shame would then be just this foundational belief commitment that I am good. And that means if we want to be proud of others, it's to say you are good as well, like like that you are fundamentally good just as you are because you exist not because of what you did or didn't do. And I I think extending this conversation that Casper and Vanessa had around shame to pride really does open up the meaning for me and the possibility of it for me and also the, like, the necessity of it for me and in our relationships with, with one another. I mean, I think that pride, as we're talking about in this, is the basis for self-esteem. It's the basis for 
believing who we are and that we are are worthy. And I think that throughout the series, it is one of the things that we see Harry grow into over time is to grow into this idea of being proud uh, because the early life was about being the exact opposite and about feeling shame and feeling shame with this association with the Dark Lord and him learning not only his value, but that he is a separate person and entity with agency and that that is in and of itself, as Matt said, is worthy. So I think that this coming into pride, I mean, another example of why this is, you know, her transphobia is so contrary to what is at the core. You know, this idea of Harry coming into himself by understanding that he is worthy and thus having pride in himself and his ability is a large part of what we're witnessing through these books. One of the things that I love about Amara, that observation is that one of the ways that Harry seems to find pride is just by, it's almost like he is performing it before he feels it, right? He at least loses shame by sharing more with Hermione and Ron. And then they aren't, they don't turn away from him, right? So he's like, oh, this isn't something I have to be ashamed of. And then by the end of the books, he's totally stepped into this confidence. But you know, as as Barbara talked a little bit about in their voicemail, part of pride in general is about inviting people to perform pride in order to find it, which I think is something that we watch Harry doing throughout the books. Yeah, and to create space for you to be who you are, right? I mean, that, that yeah. was that's really what it is. I mean, that's even what Hogwarts is as a school is really important for him because so many people, you know, come from wizard families, right? Where they grew up in this. And so like Hogwarts is like, it's not as essential of a place for them as it is for him because it's literally the first time we had space to be able to be who he was. And that is what pride is for so many people is this space for them to be who they are and to be represented. And every time you're able to add to that, again, the self-esteem it increases like our power as, as human beings and as people. Well, thank you so much, Barbara, for this great voicemail. Our next voice memo is from Aditi. Hello, Matt and Vanessa. My name is Aditi, and I'm calling from Boston. I was just listening to your episode about the second book when you were discussing why Dumbledore didn't send the kids home um, after the basilisk attacks. And I started thinking about all of the things Dumbledore had to weigh. Obviously, the students would probably be safer from basilisk attacks if they were sent home. However, Harry would definitely be sent to an abusive home, and we don't know if any other students would be as well. We also know that the students who come from wizarding families would probably be able to keep up with their studies because their parents could help them with assignments. However, students from muggle households would have to work on their assignments by themselves and may struggle more. And obviously, Harry would struggle a lot because the Dursleys would probably lock up his books. And this reminded me of the COVID pandemic when teachers were deciding whether or not to send students home. They may be safer from COVID at home. However, um, some students from abusive homes 
um, wouldn't have the support of schools and teachers who could notice and report the abuse. Furthermore, students who have parents who are educated, um, speak the local language and have free time could get help with their homework from their parents. However, um, students whose parents are immigrants or didn't finish school themselves or are working several jobs probably wouldn't be able to get as much help with their homework. So I just want to bless all of the educators out there who had to make difficult decisions during this pandemic about how best to keep their students safe. Thank you for your um, podcast. I really enjoy it. Aditi, thank you so much for this voicemail. I think, you know, to your point, but even in non-COVID times, right, like these are really complicated policies, especially because our country lacks support systems for children who are in any of these situations in which they are in abusive homes or, you know, don't have parents with an educational background where they can do the tutoring that should probably be offered at school. And I know that even at a heavily, heavily resourced place like Harvard, this was a constant conversation. Students weren't allowed to stay over winter break. And not all students had somewhere to go. <laughs> and this was an acute crisis that I feel like proctors would you know, be sort of screaming up at the top of their lungs constantly. And there were a lot of factors at play as to why students weren't allowed over the winter holidays. I found most of them to be financial, and so it was incredibly frustrating. But these are live questions that I think have been made really acute during COVID. But supporting children, right, like children are consistently one of the most vulnerable populations. And I really appreciate you calling our attention to that and using this moment in the text to remind us of that. Yeah, I think one, you know, Dumbledore knew, they all kind of had a sense that the Dark Lord was going to return at some point and, and that they were gearing up for the, a coming storm, right? It's always kind of a subtext. And within that, you know, is scattering people or sending people back home part of the plan of that, right? Like, you don't know, is the plan, get pe these kids home, are they more, more vulnerable, kind of tying into this more vulnerable at home theme? So I think that, that that's a part of it, right? Like, that's not the best move. The other side is moves, intentions are shrouded. So this could be a part of the ploy and, you know, a lot of people just stick with what they know before they figure something else out. And what they know is to keep them here. I also think that if you're looking at this in the context of Dumbledore, and, you know, there's all this debate online about why Dumbledore didn't, you know, necessarily know about the Basilisk and respond in a certain type of way or help Harry. You know, I think that a part of it is that these things are also tests to see you know, is this person the real deal? Are they really up to the tasks? Are they up to what's in front of them? And a part of that is stress testing testing, and allowing tough moments to play out. It's like when as parents, you might see your child face a challenge and you deliberately choose not to intervene because you're like, you know, they got to figure this out and they have to learn how to do these things on their own. And I need to see kind of what their capacity is to be able to navigate difficult situations in life. And I can see how when you're weighing these choices within a wider context of other things and values that are bigger that you hesitate or you make other choices. So I think that all of this, 
you know, all of these choices and all these actions are within a much larger framework of divisions and bigger challenges that are coming. Yeah, I think that's right, Amara. And and I think you're right too, Aditi. I think I want to just second your blessing upon educators because what we learn from exactly what you said is that, you know, school in this country is about a lot more than, you know, reading and writing and arithmetic, right? A lot of children eat because they go to school or eat enough because they go to school. A lot of children have counseling because they go to school. When you shut down schools, you don't just shut down the reading and writing arithmetic. You also shut down these other basic needs that schools provide. And that's a condemnation of, as Vanessa, you said, that's a condemnation of the kind of services and support we give to children. So, yeah, I agree with everything that you said, Aditi, and everything that Imara and Vanessa said. And just because of it all, I want to really second your blessing and say, God bless educators who are called to do so much for so many. And God help us to, to do a better job so they don't have to. And they do it for so little. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Our next voicemail is from Dasha. Hi, Vanessa, Matt, and the whole Sacred Text team. Um, I just finished listening to the Quidditch final episode through the theme of triumph. And um, I'd like to bless Hermione for um, her awesome little moment of triumph over Malfoy and the injustice of the situation when she slapped him on the face. (laughs) But it also got me thinking about the social aspect of triumph in some cases. When I was about 10, a boy sitting in front of me in one of my classes kept teasing me. And after repeatedly telling him to stop, I stuck my hand out in a talk to my hand fashion at the same time that he turned back again. So I ended up hitting him on the face, much like Hermione and made his nose bleed. The teacher heard the commotion and asked us what happened. I started crying. I told her what happened. Um, She knew I don't just punch people left and right, so she told the boy to apologize for teasing me. It should have felt like a triumph, but some kids in my class kept saying that I quote-unquote broke that boy's nose and got away with it because I cried. And there are still countless stories of women being branded crazy and hormonal if they shed a tear or show emotion while standing up for themselves or quitting their jobs after encountering bullying and patronizing behavior from men. It doesn't necessarily take away the triumph, but it does put a damper on it. So I'm very curious to hear your guys' thoughts on triumph in social settings. Thank you. Dasha, thank you so much for this voicemail. I think that what your voicemail made me think of is the fact that a quote-unquote triumph doesn't always feel like one. And, right, like an authority figure said, I believe you, and yet it still didn't feel triumphant to you. The other thing I'll say is just like, I feel seen and blessed in this blessing, I was thinking about this the other night because, as everyone in my life knows, I am currently rewatching New Girl. And Nick, one of the characters, is ignoring an ex girlfriend who wants a conversation about the breakup. And the more he ignores her and gaslights her and stonewalls her, the more she wants this conversation and is really infuriated about the fact that he won't give it to her. And so she like ups the ante on her behavior. 
And there's a way to watch the scene and be like, oh my God, this girl is crazy. But the other thing, and I think that the show handles this pretty well, is that you're really watching how Nick's behavior is sort of, for lack of a better term, crazy making, right? That like she is doing what she can in order to get what she feels is owed to her. And I I would agree that after four years in a relationship, it is fair to ask for some sort of debrief conversation about it. So yeah, right? Like we need to look at these situations in context. Yes, Hermione slaps Draco. And yes, it is about this like really horrible inciting incident of Draco having this innocent animal executed. But it's also years of calling her a mudblood and of teasing her and harassing her friends and you know, these are complicated situations. And so it's really hard to feel triumphant, sort of no matter what you do, you just feel stuck. Yeah. And I think, Dasha, thank you for your voice memo, first of all, and for for telling the story from your childhood. I, I think the other thing I hear in your voice memo that I really want to call attention to is like, there was triumph in your teacher believing you, but your peers around you, they saw you crying and they drew a different, a different meaning, right? from your action because they saw you crying. And and I just wanted to like kind of name that just also like the, this is also part of patriarchy, which believes that it can determine what other bodies mean. They can look at other bodies, see how they're behaving and say, oh, I know what that means. Rather than listening to the person express for themselves, this is what it means, which is what your teacher did. And I'm glad for your teacher. But that kind of taking the privilege of interpreting for someone else what their bodily behavior, what their bodily actions mean, that is what took some triumph away from you. That's what made this a painful moment. It would always have been stressful because you were being teased, right? Uh, but it, that moment when you were believed by the authority figure was undermined by the authority that all these other figures around you took for themselves and in interpreting what your reaction meant. And it's your job to tell others who you are and what you mean, right? So I'm sorry for that, but I'm, I'm grateful that your teacher did see you and did hear you. Yeah, I mean, not all wins are celebrated. I think that we have, you know, we have, it's not a fairy tale. I'm thinking about when Harry was put on trial for casting a Patronus charm, you know, with the, the Death Eaters. So in that moment, he triumphed, right? One, beat the dark thing. But yeah. because the triumph, the action, all actions can be ultimately political and politicized. It's viewed in a certain way that leads to actions that don't feel good or don't make you feel like you did the right thing. So I think, you know, one of the things that the series does is, you know, underscore the complexity of these ethical choices <laughs> and the consequences of them and takes away the fairy tale idea of what is supposed to be with respect to human behavior and how we respond to it. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. 
And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Our last voice memo is from an anonymous listener. Hi, you guys at Sacred Text Team. Um, I wish to remain anonymous for this voicemail, but just know that I absolutely love what you are doing. been really enjoying this season with Matt Potts. Um, I wanted to bless Harry just for something that I just found out that we have in common that I can't believe it took me years to realize. But when I was a kid... My dad died really young and, you know, like Harry, I thought he was a really wonderful, wonderful, loving person and I never really knew how he died, but in book four, I believe, you know, when Harry, or book five, no, book four, sorry, (laughs) when Harry goes into the pensive um, and looks at Snape memories of his dad bullying him, I just really felt connected to him in that because when I found out how my dad actually died and what happened in the sequence of events, I really felt betrayed by him and, you know, tried to ask my family members, like, why he would have done this, what made him do that, and um, it just really hurt me, but, you know, I've learned that nobody is perfect, we all have our family stuff, and I still know that he loved me so much And he was just, you know, not in the right place. And, you know, I think Harry also learned that about his dad, that, you know, he was a dumb teenager and he really did love him. So, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. I want to bless Harry Potter just for going through that journey of learning the truth about, you know, his dad and, you know, maybe not agreeing with how he acted and then coming through it and, you know, really feeling the love and understanding about, everything. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to end it there. Thank you so, so much for what you do. Um, I really enjoy listening to you guys. Have a good day. Thank you so much for this, this message, uh, dear listener. First of all, I just want to say, I'm sorry for your grief. I'm sorry you lost your dad. 
when he was young, when you were young, I'm sorry about the unstated circumstances of it and that you have had to struggle with it. But I also believe what you say is true, that all of us imperfect people are capable of love, just like we're capable of mistakes and bad things, but we're also capable of love. And in the same way that James absolutely loved Harry, I believe you, that that your dad loved you. And that is the comfort we also always take from our relationships, which are always imperfect and always have their difficult points, that we can still love each other in spite of those those mistakes and those shortcomings. So thanks for sharing, honestly, your story. Also, sh- thanks for sharing the comfort you take and the conviction that your dad that your dad loved you. Yeah, and you know, I just want to say that um, in addition to the expression of condolences around your grief, people get to be complicated. Mm-hmm. And we get to hold the complexity and the contradiction of people because that's how we actually learn about character and how we learn about ourselves and where we learn the truth is in the contradiction, not in the oversimplification of people and individuals and lives. And I think that, you know, the example of James Potter is that people also get a chance to grow. You know, they get a chance to grow and to change. And they get a chance to not be the person in their 30s that they were in their teenagers. That is kind of the fundamental hope of life right? The promise of the ability to grow and to change and to, in this conversation, I'll say even transform. Um, It's at the core of transness is this ability for people to be able to grow into ourselves and to be better by doing so. And so I think you get to hold the complexity of your father listener as you love him at the same time. Yeah, I I love what both of you said, Matt and Amara, and thank you so much for this voicemail. You know, we, we talk and think a lot about Lily's sacrifice, but um, James sacrifices too, right? And James is the one who stops Snape, as we were just talking about recently, stops Snape from actually going through with this prank that Sirius was going to play on him. And Amara, that is my favorite definition of hope too, the belief that people are capable of change. Um, and it is a hope that I hold near and dear. And I I think that one of the tragedies of people dying young is that we don't get to see all of those changes that they would have made. But, you know, it's it's also a really helpful way for me to contextualize mistakes that people made, like James for bullying Snape is that they do change and grow. I know I know, I don't want to be held accountable entirely for everything I did, you know, in my past. At least I don't want to be treated as if I would still do that again. Maybe I do want to be held accountable. But one of the great frustrations I think about family is that they don't always <laughs> recognize the way that you've changed. And so, yeah, I just want to offer you a blessing that you, for the fact that you didn't get to see the way that your dad's your dad might have changed because of his untimely death. Yeah. Well, Amara, thank you so much for joining us for this special episode. It has just been an absolute delight and really a special time. And we're just really grateful. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been 
a lot of fun. It is always fun for me to be able to um, engage in this topic. And I am just so appreciative of the way in which you all help to use these texts as insights and teaching tools into ethics, right? That is a really powerful way to continue to imbue them with um, new life and new relevance, even beyond the author. So thank you so much for having me on and thank you for what you do through this platform. Thank you, Amara. That's great. Thank you. Today is the last day of June and the last day of our Patreon push for Vanessa's birthday. And so before we close, we have a testimonial from one of our longtime listeners and a new patron of this podcast, Yael, who has left us a really lovely voice memo. Hi, this is Yael Wolf. When I heard that Vanessa's birthday wish was to get more patrons, I realized it was time for me to get on board. Honestly, I should have gotten on board a long time ago. I've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text since Vanessa and Casper started season two so many years ago. The Sacred Text team has gotten me through some of the hardest years of my life. Vanessa, Casper, Matt, Ariana, and the rest of the team have become a dear community of friends that I rely on to get me through any scrape. Even when I feel at my most hopeless, I listen to an episode and find myself uplifted and nourished by the simple goodness of the rituals of the 30-second recaps, the sacred reading practices, and the blessings of the characters. Sure, I have loved this past month being a part of the Sacred Texts Patreon community, but really, I'd contribute even without the perks. You all have given so much to me. It's my turn to give back. Thank you, and I love you all so much. Just one announcement before we give our thanks today, which is that we're doing a big push this month for transcribers. We're a little bit behind on transcriptions of our episodes. So if you are interested in transcribing, there are special gifts that you get, merchandise, gratitude, depending on how many you do, money. If you are interested in being a transcriber, please email us at hpsacredtext at notsorryproductions.com. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas. Our audio engineer is Erica Wong. And our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. Special thanks this week to everyone who shared a voice memo with us. To Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Iori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Terkyle, Stephanie Paulsell, Hannah Rehack, and a very, very special thanks to Imari Jones for joining us today. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>